Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Excited to have a special guest, Tony Poon, on the podcast today. Um, a product management leader. He's been in the space for quite a while, but um, would love to hear it from his own mouth. Tony, welcome to the show. Um, give us an elevator pitch. Thanks, Kevin. Happy to be here. Elevator pitch. I'm definitely in the category of accidental product manager. Didn't know that was a thing until somebody told me that was what I was doing. Definitely uh, engineering background, super nerdy from, yeah, I'm dating myself, but you know, back when the days where many things were analog and I was uh, definitely part of the analog to digital transition um, uh, back in device physics, you know, making semiconductor devices, engineers in a dungeon style, learned a lot, uh, you know, best practices of engineering, you know, how, how do you make things accountable and think, you know, when, when it comes to hardware, you, you have like one shot on goal, like how do you not waste that shot? But eventually, um, I started asking a gnawing question of like, why am I building this feature? Turns out that's frowned upon in the dungeons uh, world. So uh, they boot you when you ask that question. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, uh, but uh, it really inevitably <laughs> it led me down to, uh, well, well, why does this feature matter? And why am I? And, and, and when you're in device physics, it's kind of hard to understand a user because you're like 12 steps removed. So that led me to uh, doing more systems level work. Um, so I transitioned from movement of bits from semiconductor and into system level where I actually started doing video uh, systems and stuff like that. Fell in love with communications, fell in love with system, fell in love with being able to say, this is the use case uh, and here's how we're going to engineer to it. So that's kind of the, like, I caught a bug there. And then eventually that led me down to product managing things like image video sensors. And then uh, I realized I now love uh, both graphics, image video, uh, image uh, editing, as well as communications. So I went into graphics, and then I eventually went into running product for a company called Lytro. It was uh, a startup here in the valley, focusing on you know both consumer as well as enterprise, from uh, consumer imaging to videography, eventually VR. I became a Google company at some point, and then I fell into my hard nerd mode and started doing drones, flying robots with cameras. I mean. Sign me up. <laughs> so uh, I did that for a few years, mostly focusing on uh, heavy industries, uh, construction and mining. How do we extract uh, machine learning and insights to help streamline workflows? And then I came upon where I'm currently at uh, R0, where you know is an incredibly important mission, at least from my personal uh, mission perspective, being able to make indoor spaces safer. Certainly pertinent uh, topic nowadays. But you know how how do we make safer spaces for myself and, you know, our loved ones and, and children so that they don't, you know, go to petri dishes when they go to school and go to offices and things like that. 
Mm. Uh, so yeah, a little bit about me. Uh, definitely, you know, what I find is product management is never, you're never really an expert because you're always going to run into something, well, that was dumb. Uh, let's not do that one again. It doesn't matter what level, what how big your teams are, how many times you build the same product. You're just going to learn something new every day because of people and customers, they all tend to be pretty dynamic. So that's why I find uh, podcasts like these both uh, are helpful for others, but also helpful for myself because I remind myself of all the stuff that I shouldn't have done or things I should be relearning from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, and likewise, right? This is so self-serving for me. Uh, I get to learn from folks like you and, and others in the space. So it's, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a great way to just get all of that um, knowledge that we've learned and mistakes we've learned out of our head and into, into the world in some way. <laughs> Totally. And, 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 and I guess it's entertaining at some some folks. But, yeah, and sometimes you would learn these hard lessons and like things happen and you forget about hard lessons and then like you make them again, you're like, oh, that was not supposed to be that way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh. So so tell me a little bit more about your uh um personal and home life. Um what is that like? You know, interesting question um you know striking balance has certainly been shifting over the past uh, let's say 36 months uh you know fully working remote (laughs) and remote teams relearning communication styles and then at home trying to figure out like what does it mean to now have be have take the opportunity to be more involved but at the same time taking on like different communication styles but also interestingly helping your kids navigate this new world of hybrid where we have never gone through that. So we can't actually share a playbook that we have. Mm, right. So those are actually very interesting learnings that I actually have been learning. There's from some my parallels son. there with uh, product management and working. Totally. From <laughs> I, I actually have learned lessons from my son about what to do and not to do on zooms because I see some of them going through either like gaming with their friends or taking classes with zoom. Mm. And then that like, what topics they do or don't remote versus in person is super fascinating because all of us are actually um, doing yeah. it for the first time, regardless of age. So you can actually take lots of different lessons uh, from just seeing how they do things. Wow. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I feel the same way. I, uh, my kids are a bit younger, so they're not doing the remote learning thing, but um just being around them at this age and, and just seeing, you know, what they're doing day in, day out. It's, uh, there's a lot of those parallels you start to learn and, you know, how you're, how you're being a parent and how you're, um, essentially like coaching being, you know, um, helping this little person become a grow up and help them, um, um, you know, be there for them. And that's all that kind of learning how to be a parent is, is yeah. a lot of parallels with the work that we I love do, that. So. Like the learning, yeah. one of the key learning was like chill out, which is like, you know, how before, uh, <laughs> pandemics, like no screen time, no screen time. But now it's like, uh, well, you don't have a choice. So you just got to chill out and yeah. like, trust that that is going to lead somewhere and that was like a pretty gnarly learning moment there um but yeah. uh, what we learn is that like kids like after that moment of like novelty of oh we get to be in front of screens all the time they actually normalize themselves and actually become productive on screens and they they will weed themselves out and start turning off screens when they get tired so go figure <laughs> yeah man i feel like that is something that um has been instilled at us um, from our parents and their generations as well. Just like this, 
oh, this new technology, the screens, you know, sitting in yeah. front is, is bad for you. And then it's like, no, we can, we can self-regulate pretty well. Um, sometimes we can't, you know, sometimes we don't have control, but, um, yeah. sometimes we do. And then I think if it's not stigmatized, it, it becomes less of this, um, you know, oh, I want to, because I can't versus like, oh, you know, this is, uh, um, just one of the things that I can do. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's, it's actually, there's an life. interesting product management parallel there that I found, which was how do you set guardrails and testing mm. like is it a verbal guardrail do you put systems in place you know through you know either software or actual timers uh and how much do you do and how much do you throttle back there, there's like actually a fair amount of very interesting parallels that i've had to go through uh, by first Let's go through give me one <laughs> well okay yeah. so like we went Full bore, all out, buying software. Like, here's how many hours you get each day. Oh. Here's the software that you block. Here's, like, the website that you get 20 minutes of. Like, we went all there. And what I realized was, like, I imploded with the amount of, like, IT that I was taking on. And it just confused the heck <laughs> out of the imagine. kids. Like, well, so what can I work on and what can I do? What I realized was, like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's just screen time. I cannot regulate what you spend time on on in front of the screen but what i can do is mm. make a contract with you on here's how much time you're gonna get and here are the like the guardrails around like things that you shouldn't be spending time on and everything else like self-regulate um because it was wow. just like that the transferring being a helicopter parent on the playground to helicopter parent in front of the screen is like just a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> so then the, the, the decision there is like okay like ve regulate very lightly like on only the important boundaries on like bad content and like mm. amount of time that you should be doing things outside and then everything else just have to self-regulate so that we pair back a, a whole lot like we don't do any of those like really gnarly i was actually literally coding which is crazy um uh, coding timers oh, and, and, and stuff man, like that you get just, fixated on stuff like that you just go deep i mean i i, I, I feel you man yeah <laughs> so yeah so now we only set like broad strokes timer and yeah. then we what we learn is uh the best way is to do positive reinforcement mm. so the really saving grace for us was we figured out a point systems to earn more screen time and then that forces them to do non-screen time stuff to earn time for on screen wow. uh so that actually naturally regulated itself oh there's so many parallels there for uh, leadership <laughs> not just product awesome. but like if you think about product leadership and like leading with context and control right like that uh it, it, it's not scalable and and it's so funny because when it you when you're not in that mindset in that context of work and you you're doing that with your with your kids it's mm -hmm. you don't actually see it as well right like and and it almost like it in some cases, I realize, oh, you know, you, you start to realize what you're doing. And you're like, oh, man, I was doing the thing that I don't expect my people to do. Or, or that, like, you're like, yeah. wait, It's, wait it's also funny, right? You know? when, when people talk <laughs> retroactively or retrospectively, it all sounded really intelligent. Yeah. Like, oh, that's oh. super awesome. And then when you're actually doing it, you're like, you have no idea that's what you're doing. 
like mm-hmm. now I can look back and, and claim that I did empowerment with positive reinforcement. Like, that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I love I love that you talked yourself through that process because it does kind of you know here was the practicality of it all, right? Like I was you know initially over indexed on the control because it was new, right? Like there is this pivotal moment that k- triggered a an event where I don't have control or I don't know what to expect or I don't know what's going on. So I'm going to lean on the things that I do know. I know engineering. I know how to, you know, be sophisticated with all of these devices. So I'm going to do that and set that up. And and then you realize it's not scalable. It doesn't work. It's like all these things that you kind of realize in the work life. And then you you dial it back. And I think the the nice piece of this, the learning and takeaway is like that rapid response of uh, uh, um, correcting after you learn and, and be, um, uh, aware, right? You're, you're aware of that, that situation, that context, and you know how to necessarily, or you might've not in that moment know how to kind of, uh, correct, right? Yeah. It's like a continuous discovery process, just much more vivid and painful and personal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so real. I love that. That's very practical. So we talked about, um, uh, prior to our call, we talked a lot about this art and science, and I think this is a good, um, uh, maybe transition into that topic in more detail of this, uh, life imitates art or art imitates science, or I don't know, there's some parallel in there we can make, (laughs) but, uh, um, so what, what's your take? I know you have an interesting take on this that, uh, um, you know, how product is essentially a mix of art and science. I often get asked or get into conversations on like, Hey, what's the best practices or like, what's the playbook. And I think to this day, my answer is why can't it be both? I think it should be both mostly, you know, on the kind we touched on this a little earlier because both the teams and the customers are dynamic until we are all only serving machines. Then maybe it becomes a science, but the fact that we are people and serving people, by definition, it is unpredictable and dynamic, and therefore, yeah. you can you can have best practices and try to minimize the the mistakes you make. But kind of by default and by definition, you have to wing a lot of it, and you have to use judgment calls in order for you to understand dynamic behavior and react dynamic dynamically. Mm. And like I have. For the last, uh, oh gosh, long, long enough, uh, over a decade now, being in kind of earlier startups, and that pushes you to be more dynamic because there's less um, established playbooks or recipes for you to kind of build innovative things. So I've mm. definitely kind of swung a little bit harder on the like wing it and make people believe it type thing. But yeah. I, I think even when I was in some of the bigger companies where tons of data, tons of trends, like consumer research and all those things, Inevitably, you still miss the boat, even if you're completely data-driven, because things are dynamic. Mm. I have an example there where I was working on a company called Logitech on webcams, and we owned the market. And we knew exactly what SKUs, how much it would sell, what the features are. We had consumer research to the nines, and we knew exactly what was going to sell. Uh, but what ended up happening was we missed a boat on a pivotal change in the industry trend where it was transitioning from standard definition to high definition, where it was not anticipated by the users, but it was the trend that was driving for everything to be HD. And that didn't come out in the data. 
And that's like completely speaks to the fact that your customers are dynamic and things mm-hmm. will influence them, even if they don't know that that's the use case, even if they can't tell you those are their pain points, things just change. Yeah, I think, in it, well, it sounds like now you're over-indexing on the art side of things more than the science, but uh, is that still the case? Well, uh, interestingly enough, I'm in uh, a company called R0, where we are fundamentally a science-driven company in terms of building products. So mm-hmm. science in a different flavor, like literally, like, human biological science in this case, but we are building innovative products rooted in science. So science less in the context of product management science, but science in the, in more like medical science or human mm. behavior or, or human effect science. Using that as a root of building products, only building products that work. And then from there, starting to build a market around the use cases that we have. But from a product management perspective, definitely still in the more creating a market, creating a category space. Some people may think, oh, actually, many people have told me that I'm crazy because they're like some, some of the harder things and like startup probability is very low. And I have gone into the niche of startups, which is like lowest of the low uh, in terms of probability of success. But I find these to be much, much more interesting because you're not doing the same thing, not even once. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. It is just different every single time. I love that. Yeah, same kind of career path as you of following those niche uh, startups, especially the ones I love the ones that are pre market fit and that, that have some runway or so have some concept or traction, right? And then getting getting in that moment of experimentation. It sounds like you'd be a great entrepreneur if you haven't started your own business. I'm sure you have at some point, but uh, well, <laughs> well, that the, comes at different kind of trade offs. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I think Absolutely that it does. the yeah. inevitable aha moments of, well, that should have been obvious, but it wasn't. And it's very different from what you originally thought. Those are like few and far between and takes a long time and unpredictable. But like when you have those, like they are lifelong memorable because you spent the time and the, went through the hardship to figure out something. And that piece mm. of something nobody had known before. As long of a time and as much effort as sometimes it takes, those are really memorable because you feel like, oh, I didn't waste my time. Great. Now we can do something. How long have you been at the um, R0 at this point? I just passed the eighth month mark. So it's fairly, okay, fairly yeah. recent. Fairly new. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. We have been blessed. The, the world has gone through hardship uh, and we saw an opportunity to both help people, but also create a new category that hopefully does, has you know tangible uh, societal impact. So it had it went through hyper growth for a couple years, and you know, knock on wood, we we're making headway. We've gone to fairly rapid expansions over the last couple years. So I was brought in to both start building the discipline around product management, but also kind of thinking through the roadmaps of how do we expand into actually achieving the mission that we're on. Got it. So when you kind of came in post product market fit. There's some concept idea there, and now we need some structure for growth. We need to make this product market fit a success. And so you're looking at how do we put the process in place? How do we hire the right people? How do we invest in the right things? Is that exactly. kind of general sense? Yeah. We would have, I would say that we have early use case fit, and because we're creating a market, so there are like surrounding factors on like what are the workflows, how do segmentations mm. work. So that we can like really solidify what the market is and then expand from there. How would you define the market today? 
So the market today is really driven by the fact that we're as a like human species, it's just not prepared to deal with something as fundamental as infectious elements in the air. Uh, you know, this is just a thing that we have kind of lacked behind a society and we lack the tools, the framework even to think about what are the effects, how do we measure the improvements and where do we want to get to. The drinking water that we, you know, we drink, the bubble gum that we chew, even the toothpaste that we use, they're all regulated with some fairly clear standards. The air that we breathe, you know, 18,000 times a day, it's not regulated and we don't have even a framework to talk about. It. So there's there's lots mm. of science that needs to be like understood. There's a market that needs to be built from both education and efficacy on products. So all of those things need to kind of come into play so that we can help people understand what is possible, why is it important, and what are the outcomes that we want to have. So uh, that's why I think we definitely have a use case fit, which is creating safer indoor spaces, but the market in itself won't get created until education and understanding and appreciation is there. What are the early customers? Who do they look like today? So the early customers are definitely the folks that understand that there is a negative impact on not being protected inside the indoor spaces. And we are squarely focusing on like as much human outcome as possible. And that being science driven, the question that we ask ourselves is like, okay, if we want to maximize human outcome, uh, which is to protect as many uh, spaces as possible, where are the highest risk places for infectious diseases? Uh, it turns out it's really where places uh, where people uh, congregate. If you look at probability and statistics on like where people congregate the most is really workplaces, venues, places we spend the most time, which is work. For that reason, as a company, we decided um, in order for us to defend the mission and protect as many spaces as possible, we go after enterprise. We go, um, you know, we, we help prioritize folks that have need to bring people back as a way for them to drive productivity um, so that we can help them bring people back safely. So these, these are like large corporations or high tech or financial services or sometimes healthcare, senior care facilities, educations. All those places have a legitimate need for people to be present in order for them to either deliver services or create productivity. Uh, uh, but they have to do that without much of a choice to be present in some congregated space. And they need to be able to find a way to do that safely. It sounds like, you know, you're exploring a cup, couple different customer segments, but it's definitely that market of, of folks that want to create this safe environment. Um, you know, and so that it's its own market, right? I think that now the need in that space is pretty clear and there's ways to do that. And this is a new way to do that essentially. And, and can you That's explain right. a little bit about what R zero is and, and how that, yeah, how a, a, a client of yours would use it? Uh, at the highest level, you know, our, the outcome that we want to drive is to be able to have performed disinfection inside an indoor space by disin disabling pathogens or at least infectious uh, pathogens. Uh, we do that with scientifically proven way, which is using um, a spectrum of light called UVC. It's a subband of UV that has been kind of medically proven to disable pathogens. It's been kind of used in hospital settings for many, many, many years. Uh, but it had just been stuck in hospitals uh, because there was really never awareness or demand for it to be brought outside. Now, obviously, we had a catalyst a few years ago, uh, and the, the team decided to bring that to the masses 
by making it autonomous uh, hardware, being smart devices, have software around it that can help people do management. The outcome of it is um, we uh, have a solution that's hardware uh, as well as software that gets um, both installed in places or um, mobile mobile products uh, in and around buildings that help uh, in real time disinfect uh, spaces while people are in it um, to make sure that people can still congregate and have some set of normalcy on being able to be productive uh, in person. The way it works is it does air and surface disinfection through UV uh, light uh, inside different types of settings. And we have software that both regulate as well as understand uh, how to change statuses, how much uh, light to apply, and whether or not it is effective. One of the most important things about these type of devices or this type of solution is being able to tell people that it worked. And so we've actually built software, sensors, and many other things so that we can show people what are the effective uh, outcome so that people understand that people are actually safe. I love this. I'm looking at the the ARC um, product. I mean, it looks it, just the way it looks and encourage you all to check it out, but it's like this um, kind of mobile. It has four wheels and um, it kind of looks interesting. It's It's a modern design. It's got like a like a tube of UV lights, it kind of looks like, and you can kind of yeah. roll it into spaces. Uh, it's very well, interesting. Well, it's interesting yeah. if, you know, when I first um, thought about this problem, the, the, the fundamental problem is that disinfection isn't new, but it hasn't really worked. You know, the, the normal mm. regimen is applying spray or, you know, many different chemicals that gets mm. added to spaces yeah. either with people or post people, with people have other concerns too, right? You know, chemicals and all that stuff. But if you actually, uh, this is the, the interesting point, when you actually read the labels of some of these disinfecting products, it actually tells you to like spray it on and leave it there for three minutes. Don't wipe it off. Like, like think about the last time you actually did that. Like, mm. I'm going to put bleach on this thing. I'm going to leave it for four minutes <laughs> and then I'm going to wipe it away. Like, yeah. I don't think I've ever done that, but that's the only way that it actually works. So while we, like the entire society have built muscle memory about what cleaning and disinfection means, it actually hasn't worked. And that's fundamentally to me is like, what? What do you mean it doesn't work? (laughs) And then on top of that, there are now like technology that are mature enough to go help make sure that it works in a way that can be measured and in a way that can be done cost effectively. Like that to me, regardless of whether or not R0 is a company, that just needs to exist. That problem yeah, is now solvable in a way that with at scale. And you can measure just, it. Exactly. It just needs to be solved. Uh, and I think, yes, there's a catalytic moment, but it is time and we have the technology to go do it. I, I mean, I love the angle you're taking too. It seems like that's where the monetization lies in the short term, but I can also see a huge consumer angle here. Um, and like, what what is that strategy with you guys? Well, for us, we, we're very, very focused on the mission, which is mm-hmm. as, you know, as much outcome as we can drive. Uh, and so for the foreseeable future, the science, the science tells us, it, you know, find the highest risk spaces where people congregate the most. And those are going to be our prioritized markets first. And then from there, I, th- I think, yes, as you can imagine, there are many other things. Uh, not only in um, actively disinfecting spaces, but also understanding risk 
helping people realize what other risks there may be, but really helping people holistically understand what is the healthiness of a space. You know, pathogen is only one aspect of what makes th- spaces potentially not healthy. There are mm-hmm. plenty of other things that actually have a very tangible, measurable impact on human health. For us, it's really about healthy spaces, but we are starting with something that's super critical is impacting all of our lives right now uh, and then expanding on from there. And there's some, yeah, I can already think of so many applications to this. Have y'all, and is this, is this proprietary science that you've developed or is this more just the packaging of that science? Uh, as a uh, there's definitely a lot of proprietary uh, advancements, uh, both from optics, from light sources, mm-hmm. uh, but also from like the way you put it all together in a way that's measurably and verifiably verifiably safe to human beings. You know, one of the things that we're trying to make sure as much as possible is all products need to be measured when they're deployed into spaces and confirmed with Audible Trail that they are performing as they should. Because we're dealing with something very real here, which is protecting you know, humans and occupants inside spaces. And that, to me, honestly, is one of our key differentiators that we care. We care about whether or not our products work, we care about whether or not the outcomes actually are going to be achieved. And we care so much that we build products and software and sensors and all of that that needs to happen in order to show that it works. I'd love uh, for folks to go check that out. And yes, build some IoT home devices so we can get our homes clean, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, nerding out on product management or for a second, I, you know, there's, a, there's an interesting product management thought here. This is... Um, one of the most horizontal opportunity I've ever came across as a, a product person. Like, you know, when, when, when you think about like, okay, what is the TAM of a particular like product or solution at a market? This is the one that I, I don't quite yet know how to wrap my head around the entire TAM yet, because mm. this is literally where all human beings congregate indoors. But from a product management discipline perspective, it's like, really great to have unlimited TAM air quotes, but it's also a very interesting exercise to figure out, well, well, which one do we go after first? Like, how do we go after? What logic do we use? How do we prioritize? Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. actually something that not only product management team, but like BD team, the sales team and marketing, we're all actually thinking really hard about like, well, okay, where do we go after first? Because like the TAM is almost too large Mm -hmm. uh, for us to go figure out a tangible and tactical plan around it. So mm. being able to use the scientific angle was actually really useful for us. That became like a really good underpinning for us for both, you know, staying on mission, which is figuring out how to create the maximum outcome, but also using science to tell us, well, how do we do that is by mm. finding places where it's highest risk. We actually use machine learning to build risk modeling to tell us where there are the highest risk. With obviously a combination of factor, and go, this goes a little bit to your differentiation and uniqueness. But like nerding out there, using science and machine learning, now we can actually scientifically say these are the way that we should segment if we want the you know highest order of outcome uh, for the mission. I love using that machine learning in the uh, predictability of the the adoption of the TAMs. Well, I mean, you're just predicting that the TAMs themselves, the biggest opportunities to prioritize, but then. Going back to art and science, right? When in actuality, how are things, um, you know, actually uh, um, 
panning out? Are they, are they achieving product market fit within that TAM? Do you need to pivot? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think some early hypotheses are proving true, which is the industries and applications where their productivity and service delivered required in person, they have definite challenge. Some customers care more than others because sometimes they don't necessarily have the tangible KPIs that they report around human health. Um, so there's the education component there, but there's definitely early majority now we're, we're hoping to be able to claim from a lot of the traction that we're seeing that, you know, people do want genuinely and are investing now heavily into ensuring that there is a healthier space because mm. they know that it is going to be continue require them for bringing both uh, either students or employees back into the office if they want to stay competitive. There's definitely the desire, right? And now as you're executing on this, do you remain focused on that initial assumption? Do you test and validate both? Do you kind of... Because you, you said, I mean, there's so many different avenues you can go down, right? And then now if you if you pick one, is that it? Are you like in a... No, um, far from it. Um, like that, that's step one, which is like, hey, what's our hypothesis on segmentation? Yeah. Uh, the, the second part is like, do they actually care? Um, <laughs> so this is really where like, uh, you know, our sales and BD team do really their magic, which is pulling as much sample as possible, you know, formalizing our like story and efficacy. How do we actually educate and really wholeheartedly go sell and see what people care about and what we obviously learn is they may care about some part of it, and they actually um, have different reasons for caring some parts of it. Some of it could be they have ESG goals. Some of it could be they have attendance goals. Some of it could be they have real estate portfolio utilization goals. It all comes in different forms from different businesses of why they care. And the question really is like, okay, these are like X, Y, Z reasons why you care. But in order to achieve any of those, fundamentally, we have to make this space safer. And then we can build software to help them track towards their ultimate KPIs of what a safer space can enable. And that enabler helps them make the connection to whatever their corporate objectives are. So those are the things that we're continuously trying to learn as fast as we can on one proving and deploying products to help make spaces safer. But second is how do we connect that to your business ROIs? It's definitely no playbook around what we're doing with what I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. I'm going to shift our conversation just a little bit now. You know, you just recently joined, I mean, ish, right? Eight months. But um, what were kind of some of the mistakes you've learned um, on your journey uh, with with this company or, or if, if there's anything that you can pull from this company or from prior roles that um, you've kind of learned from. Where do I start? <laughs> One of the things that is becoming a recurring theme that I try to remind myself a lot of startups. Um, it all starts from being passion driven. You, you have, you know, a hypothesis you're really passionate about. You want to change the world. You want to make changes. You want you want the world to be better. That's why you start a company. And a lot of that start with passion uh, and you collect data and you start to create you know, a business case and all that stuff. And inevitably, the cycle continues as you build your startup. If you 
get new features, as you get new learnings from customers. What I find, oftentimes myself included, is it's hard for us to separate passion from conviction. There is a distinction, at least in my mind, in order for you to transition from passion into conviction, you need data. Because startups often move so quickly and we believe and are so passionate about some of the ideas, we immediately go start building it without actually having the conviction through data that this is a good idea from a business standpoint. And to me, like I've ran into this multiple times in different companies in different cycles now, which is like, how do we ask the right questions or continuously ask the right questions to make sure that we did make somewhat of a transition from passion into conviction by pointing at, here's what the customer feedback are. Um, and this, this is reason why this is not just in our own heads. This is why it is both a good idea and there is a market for it. Now, is there a particular example? You know, you can obscure some some details if it's too, <laughs> um, <laughs> too proprietary. But was there one example that you've learned uh, through that, that uh, passion to conviction journey that really, you know, codified that uh, uh, learning for you? Yeah, I, 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 I'll take one from the previous company. I was in a drone company before uh, and we were doing surveying and insights to improve workflow for construction and mining. And we're nerds, right? We want autonomously flying robot to do everything. You know, any problem, like send a drone, we'll do it all. <laughs> uh, and one of the problems was like, you know, mining, very dangerous. And also uh, in, in some sense, it could be environmentally harmful if mismanaged. That's why it's highly regulated, many rules, because I, I, people genuinely want to do good. Mm. And one of the things that happened is there's a lot of byproducts in mining called tailings, which a lot oftentimes contains harmful chemicals that need to be contained perpetually, sometimes in decades. And when these uh, places need to be surveyed and monitored, they oftentimes use human beings to walk miles and miles of areas to which they're housing some of these toxic chemicals. And then we, we like dreamt about like we can just send drones and we can take surveys and then it would automatically mark places. It will come back. It will give you this automatic report. And we even like created use cases around it. It sounded awesome. It's like we, we can reduce um, manual labor by ninety five percent. Like all sounded really great. And we like started building it. Luckily, we you know this one we ask ourselves, do we have conviction or not? Uh, we actually went and talked to a bunch of customers, and what it turns out funny but also painful uh was that the industry is so highly regulated that it required boots on the ground to verify sightings in order for it to be legal so it doesn't matter how many drones you send <laughs> you still, still need people on the ground, ground. <laughs> yeah yeah oh, so uh, that, that's one of those things where like uh-huh well that was unanticipated did you so get all the way through the build phase or like no you, luckily okay. we caught yeah. it ideation we were yeah. caught it like we Good. were like highly convicted like that's it that's our next big thing how many times does that happen my goodness i have the same way but yeah. you know that that's life right <clears throat> arts and science like the dynamic yeah. changes is the discovered information comes from people uh and what we ended in that, up in that case did you actually in that case did you guys start with a need an industry or yes. market need or was it okay and then you you found conviction on an idea you felt excited yes. about but no validation um yeah the, 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 the okay, root challenge it, yeah. there was the need came from the corporate level of being mm. competitive 
right? We want to oh, save labor. Okay. We so want to be like efficient a and all of those need. things. It's a business organizational need, right? Exactly. And yeah, then you're like, we have a solution for that. Like, there's this thing to fly. Like, we'll do all these things. It was shoot lasers, and, you know, all these literally shoot lasers. And then when rubber met the road, of when you found users for the use cases, when you realize, oh crap. That's a, like a mode of use that's completely mismatched that we literally are prevented from solving it this way. So yeah, so we actually so, end then, up completely and, scrapping that. And then in that in that context, were you the uh, product leader, uh, owner? Yeah, I uh, okay. well I uh, well product leader is a loose description, but like you know we had a product manager in charge there, but I was I was highly involved because I okay. I was the one with a lot of passion. I'm like yeah, that's it. That's it. Like that should make so much sense. And then later to find out from customer interviews that mm. Mm, nope, that is not it. Actually, uh, we need to now go build something else. Now we mm. <laughs> we ended up going from extreme high tech, which is like autonomous flying drones with flying lasers, uh, into complete low tech of how do we replace paper in the field so that they can take these sightings faster in a cloud manner. But like. It's just complete 180, but yet still solving the same problem. You know, through the cycle of passion to conviction, completely flip it upside his head. In your new role, how have you? Now you're the CPO, right? And so you're setting up these structures. You're you're essentially hearing, I'm assuming, a lot from the executive and the board team about, you know, here are the business outcomes and needs. But they're not yep. necessarily the customer needs, and so you have to take those business needs and translate them to customer needs. So then the teams that you're building can actually have, you know, have a, a creative constraints around the the roadmaps that they are building to then go and achieve the business goals. And so how do you how do you play your part in that? Like, what is that? Uh, it's a good question. I, like I, to be honest, I think it's a journey for for all of us. I actually have a different definition of customer, though. Just on that one, I think they're all customers. There's there some of them are users, and some of them are just benefits. You know, they take benefits from the solution, but they end up all being customers. So they they all matter to us. I think one of the interesting thing about I, I don't know if that's that's a good way of thinking about it, but there's a how do you grow versus how do you find product market fit. And I think actually it mm-hmm. comes back to this question because you continue to try to find more business ROI for your products, but at the same time they may not connect to the users of your product because there's sometimes second or even if not third order effect. And the it's most important B2C that, problems. <laughs> yeah, and, and many ways to describe like that dynamic. What what I've recently reminded myself of is both need to happen at the same time. One should not over-index on finding growth without honing in on creating solutions that users love and continue to highly engage around. Why? Because there, there are two tangible business impact. One is renewal. The other is growth. And both are actually critically important for you to ex- continue to both pay bills and run the business and, and grow at the same time. So that was one uh, recent realization that we we mm. want to make sure we have a balanced approach in both driving engagement of current users, but at the same time 
discovering new use cases so that we can connect to higher order business ROI. That's probably leading in us into funding and, and how funding plays uh, its part in this in this mix. But it, going back to my uh, initial prompt there, with as a CPO and as a leader, um, it, it sounds like there's this balance of percentage based strategic bets that you're um, you know informing, and it's not so cut and dry on one in particular need to solve, but we have this challenge of, you know, this balance beam that we have to maintain and be agile to. And so we're going to put a percentage of allocation into growth and a percentage of allocation into product market fit. And it's going to ebb and flow based on where the needs are, are at the time, right, of the business. Yeah. Um, I think it's about setting goals at the end of the day. Like what kind of engagement goals do we want for our products? Like there's no science to it. It's like, we just need to pick a number that we feel good about. And then we will try to correlate that with renewals so that we understand the dynamics and know like, well, not know, but learn where the levers are so that we build some confidence there while we kind of go hunting, uh, so so, so to speak for, uh, you know, new growth and new ROI, or maybe connecting to those ROIs. But yeah, we're we're definitely in that cycle of figuring that out what that balance is. It sounded like you know you guys were kind of exploring funding, or I you know as a CPO, how involved are you in that discussion? As startups, like no, nobody stops fundraising. Uh, that's, that's just the name of the game. And uh, I am very fortunate in uh, my current company that we we have folks that are very very good uh, at telling a transparent story for what we're trying to achieve. And for us. We're extremely mission driven uh, and that actually in, uh, I think at least in fundraising, uh, it gives people a clearer picture for what what kind of team they're, they may work with and what kind of outcome we're trying to drive towards. And the decision they have to make is like, well, how big of a market and business will it be? So I think we, we definitely have really talented sort of folks on eStaff that are really good at keeping us in check on making sure we're clear on the mission. And that certainly has helped and will continue to help us if we stay on uh, on goal there. So I'm lucky in that way that I don't have to get as involved uh, in uh, fundraising uh, in this company. It was one of definitely one of the draws when I uh, first signed on as being part of it. Um, and uh, the market is definitely unpredictable right now. I'm definitely not the only one who is saying that. But uh, for for us, um, you know, uh, for, we're definitely heads down on. What we think we need to do, which has a societal impact, we think that's kind of our North Star. And for the folks who believe and can see tangible benefit that brings, that's really the folks that we want to talk to and work with. Uh, Many different companies have different ways of doing it for us. Because we're creating a categories, we have to kind of stay really focused on why does this category deserve to exist? What is the macro environment that we will kind of help create impact around? Uh, and that kind of that naturally kind of becomes a magnet for folks that really do want to be part of that mission and care about that. Yeah, I would imagine the 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 found or the um, investors definitely have that that mission driven um, mindset where they. I don't know. I mean, I would be curious to see. I don't know how close you are to it, but how involved they are in those decisions. And um, you know, I would say maybe mission driven. You're maybe more involved. I don't know. It's never not about business. Right. Absolutely. Right? 
Yeah, you're in a profit uh, business, right? Like, yeah, you're yes. trying to make a profit. Yeah, that's right. One of the things yeah. that I, I tell people when I am in recruiting, uh, you know, I, I tell people like, look, we, we are very mission driven, but we at the same time, we are a for profit company. So we have to do both. But I, I think for us is it is very tough to be one of many. Uh, and it actually helps m- most certainly to have a very unique and hard to um, copy both technology, but also mission that matter. You know, in, in, in this certain, in the current environment, it, it, if you are one of many, then you really, really have to prove the business side to be very, very buttoned up. You have a formulaic approach of $1 in, $6 out. So that that becomes even harder uh, when it comes to pure metric driven uh, in this market. Well, we went all over the place today, so um, <laughs> it's been amazing. And uh, I, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, Tony, but let's uh, let's um, give our listeners some homework for this week. So based on our conversations, we touched on a lot of different things here, but was there is there one takeaway that you can give them uh, as a homework assignment to uh, work on this week? I, I, I would say back to the passion to conviction concept, I would, you know, in your spare time, copious spare time, uh, maybe take a look at some of the like highly prioritized projects and ask yourself, like, have we crossed from passion into conviction? Most of the time, you would just be able to point to a set of research that's already been done and say, yep, like, you know, there's a real market here. But, you know, every one of us know there's a couple skeleton in that closet that's like, you know, somebody that was really passionate with a really loud voice that people don't want to disagree with that pushed this project through. Every one of us have that. The question really is like, okay, how much of investment is it? How much of a risk is there knowing that is a passion project? And like, how how much can we do in the meantime to catch up on turning it into conviction? If we're lucky, there will be only one or two of those. Uh, and then it means the exercise will be much smaller to do whatever research is necessary to Convince yourself like, yep, there is some conviction that we can build or have built so that you have de-risk when it goes to market, you're not going to learn something drastically different. I love that. And then I would, I would kind of add to that on the other side of the coin. If you are that person that is, you know, has those super passionate bursts and, and maybe has blind, uh, uh, of a little blind spot for conviction in the moment, um, uh, recognize those moments where you begin to get very passionate and, and and use that as a as your trigger to then pause and reflect i i find that that's it's very super important to to pause and journal and and get your thoughts out on paper as much as you can give it some space even though it seems very hot in the moment that you want to just get it you know you want to go and do this thing i think taking that practice as a trigger to pause reflect journal and then that gets you in the mindset that that tony's kind of uh discussing about this conviction of like now okay now that i've got my thoughts out on paper do i still feel as passionate strongly convicted about it now okay now i have something to kind of use to then go go get some conviction i think this is particularly pertinent for folks that are creating creating markets and like really innovative spaces where we we sometimes get stuck in convincing people and we feel like if we can convince somebody, we win. Some, sometimes it is, you know, when, when it comes to the type of conversation. But ultimately, the outcome that we want isn't convincing somebody. It is something that people find valuable. That, to me, like, if you're focusing on that question, mm-hmm. that ought to bring you back to, like, okay, what is passion? What is conviction? Well, 
Tony, it's been a pleasure. Um, is there anything that, uh, um, you know, uh, that you'd like our listeners to know about you, um, where to find you, anything you want to plug? A couple things. Uh, ask for help. Uh, I've been told by my wife that I need a hobby. So anybody who has uh, ideas on what would be a good hobby for Uber nerd like myself, by all means, reach out, send me uh, ideas. Uh, you know, all is fair game. Uh, but like I, I also, uh, anytime I talk to other product folks that are working on different products, I always learn something. So you know, please, by all means, reach out. Uh, over LinkedIn or, you know, um, uh, or just send me an email, you know, Tony P at R zero systems.com. Happy to chat. Uh, I'm sure I'll learn something selfishly, but you know, hopefully there's, you know, something I can share that would be of use to you as well. Well, that's awesome, Tony. Thank you so much again. And, uh, it looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been product coffee produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.